0: Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Well, as we come to the portion of Exodus where the Israelites leave Egypt in droves, you now have a picture of what that might have looked like. Um, (laughs) We praise the Lord for a lot of children here today. Um, Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13 will be in verses 17 through 22, finishing out that chapter this morning. In 1678, a man by the name of John Bunyan wrote um, a a book that's become a Christian classic. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress. You might have read it at some point if you um, had to in college, or maybe uh, maybe they do in high school. I don't know if they have you read that in high school, but um, I hadn't read it until seminary. Um, it's, a, it's a fictional story, and it is an allegorical story of the Christian life, of what the Christian life is like, and it's unapologetic in that. Um, it doesn't try to hide the fact that it's being an allegory for the Christian life. Um, the main character's name is Christian. He's leaving the city of destruction, and he's on a journey to the celestial city. That's the story. He's on this journey, and his goal is to get to that city. Christian is set free from the city of destruction by a character named Evangelist. Along the journey to the celestial city, he meets characters named Goodwill, Faithful, Hopeful, one guy named Ignorance, many others. He encounters characters who are enemies to his journey like Vanity, Despair, and Worldly Wise Men. I've known a few of those in my day, as we all have. You really should read the book if you haven't read the book. It's probably one of the most important Christian books that has been written outside of the Bible. Um, it was written in 1678, so expect it to be in Old English, um, but, but it is a, it is a, a very um, helpful book to read as you um, journey in your Christian life, because the Christian life is a lot like the Pilgrim's Progress. We're all on the journey to the celestial city. Along the way, we encounter people who aid in that journey, and we encounter people who want to get us off that journey. Along the way, God is leading us through ordinary life and through various trials that come our way. We see a similar picture to that in this short passage in Exodus 13. So let's read verses 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see the war, when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people." So Pharaoh has let the people go. We read that a couple weeks ago um, as we've been working our way through Exodus. He has let the people go. He has sent them out of Egypt fiercely because of the death of his firstborn son. And in many ways, they have set out from that city of destruction that the pilgrim's progress describes. And they're on the way to the celestial city, the, the promised land, the place God is going to give them. God is going to be with them the entire time. But notice what it says. Verse 17, God did not lead them by way of the land, implying he led them another way. He did not lead them the way, if you looked at a map, it makes sense to send them through the land of the Philistines because that's the place that's near as it says, but he did not do that. He led them elsewhere. The description of their time as, the, as set out here is very similar to various aspects of the Christian life. I see actually four in these verses, and we're going to walk through those, four aspects of the Christian life, on the, of that journey to the celestial city, to, uh, to eternity, to heaven, as we would call it, um, all found within this passage as we walk that way with Jesus. First of all, verses 17 and 18, God sometimes leads us through the wilderness. God sometimes leads us through the wilderness, verses 17 and 18. God did not lead them through the land of the Philistines. That is eventually where they will go as you continue through the story of the Old Testament. They are going to go to the land of the Philistines, and they're going to drive those people out, and they're going to take that land over, but the the, the Philistines being one of the many lands that they're going to do that with. But God knew they weren't ready for that. God knew they were not ready. He says if they go to the Philistines right now, they're going to see how, um, how much of warriors the Philistines are, and they're going to go back to Egypt. So he knows they're not ready. God knows that about them. He knows they're not ready yet. He can see the bigger picture beyond what you can at this moment and beyond what they can at this moment. It was very inconvenient to go the route that they're going to go. The route that he sends them on, it would kind of be like um, if you're in Columbus and you want to go to Macon. Um, you you leave Columbus, you go down to Albany, you come over to Tifton, and then you take uh, I-75 up to Macon. That'd be a really inconvenient trip, and it wouldn't make a lot of sense, instead of just taking Highway 80 from Columbus to Macon. But that's what God makes them do. God sends them completely out of the way to get where they're going. Sometimes God sends us inconvenient ways because he knows there's something on the main path that we can't handle at the moment. We can't handle it. We're not ready for it yet. You ever think about that when you hit an inconvenience in life? I've often thought of several what-if scenarios to, to different points in my life, how my life would have turned out if that particular thing hadn't happened, um, and, and how, in my mind, I might think, well, my life would be a lot better if that hadn't happened, but would it really? Um, so, as you know, my, my dad and I were in a really bad car accident when I was nine years old, and uh, my, my dad's still injured from it today, and um, so, so I've often thought, what if um, we got to the end of the driveway and I realized I'd forgotten my backpack? and we had turned around and had to go get my backpack, we would not have been at that point in the road that we had that wreck at that time. And I might think to myself, well, life would be a lot better then because my dad wouldn't be injured and, you know, all all that stuff wouldn't have happened that that played out from that. But would that really be the case? Because what if God sent me to an inconvenience or, in that case, a really bad convenience um, at, at that time for purposes that I can't see right now? Because that didn't happen. Have you considered that the inconveniences and even the trials and the tragedies in your life happen that that seems so annoying at the time might actually be God sparing you from something else? Sparing you from something else. Sparing you from the Philistines that you haven't gotten to yet, that you're not ready for. God is not only in the big parts of our life. He is sovereign over the tiny details of our life every day. It, you, you trust his sovereignty over your life and that means that when you encounter an inconvenience you trust that God knows what he's doing that he would have you encounter that inconvenience maybe you get caught in traffic for an hour on 82 that happened to me this week a train had broken down on the on the on the road maybe you get all the way to work and you realize you left something really important at home and you get dri- you get to drive all the way back when I was um last year I was in a wedding and, and Cleveland, Ohio, and I flew up there, and um, one of the guys that I was friends with in seminary got married, and I was one of his groomsmen, and um, we we stayed in this janky Airbnb downtown. Um, I don't know who found it, but that's where we stayed the first night. Me and another guy got out of there after the first night, Um, but uh, this place was bad. I mean, there was dirt falling from the ceiling, and the rats crawling around, and everything. It was not a fun place to stay, and um, I knew it wasn't very Structurally stable because I could see those kinds of things. And um, so we got up Saturday morning and we went to the rehearsal dinner. And we get there and I eat. And um, I am sitting there. They're about to start doing where the people go up and give a speech about the bride and groom at the rehearsal dinner. And I'm sitting there and then it hits me I don't think we turned the coffee pot off. It was 45 minutes away, which in a big city really means three and a half miles. But, um, but it, we're 45 minutes away from the Airbnb. And I'm thinking, Like my anxiety starts to kick in, and I'm like, that thing's gonna. Because it wasn't one of those, my coffee maker at home shuts off after two hours. This is one of those you have to actually hit a switch and turn it. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's gonna light fire and burn that place down, which is probably gonna put it out of its misery, but it's gonna put us out of a lot of money if we do that. So I'm thinking to myself, someone's gotta go turn that thing off. And so I run up and jump in my rental car and drive all the way across town, miss all the speeches. And, yep, the coffee pot was on still, and I turned it off. And um, I don't know why the Lord had pop in my head that's what was going on. He had some purpose behind things like that. They seemed completely random, completely, um, completely inconvenient. Like, I, I missed all these funny speeches. I got back, and they're like, you missed this speech and this speech. And I was like, man. But God sends us in inconveniences like that sometimes for some reason maybe that we can't see. We don't always know why things like that happen. We may not know until eternity, tiny details like that that make no sense. But in the pilgrim's progress, God is sovereign over every detail we face. And he is using all those inconveniences, sometimes even bringing them about because he can see the bigger picture. And he knows what is best for you when you don't. The first thing, God sometimes sends us through the wilderness. Second, verse 18, the people are equipped for battle. You see, the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. They are ready to fight. They're, um, they're, they're in their uniforms. They've got their sword on their belt. They've got their helmet on. They're ready to fight. Even though they are not ready for the battle with the Philistines, they are equipped for battle. In the pilgrim's progress, we have to be equipped for battle. As we're going to see, there are trials and enemies of your soul coming. For them, it's going to be the Egyptians coming very soon. And later in chapter 17, it's going to be um, them battling against the, uh, the Amalekites. Like it's going to, that's just going to be a couple days later. Like they're, they're going to encounter these enemies of their soul, and you will too. In the everyday life, when things aren't crazy, that's when you've got to work to equip yourself with battle armor for the Christian life. Because if you wait until you're in a war to train yourself and equip yourself, you won't have the strength or the opportunity to do it. Think about what Ephesians chapter six says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth It's Paul prescribes for the Christian, what is the battle armor that we wear? Because it's not what the the Israelites had on here. We don't literally carry around a sword on our belt. Some of you carry around a gun in your pocket, but we don't literally wear battle armor in the same way that they did. It's more spiritually speaking. We have pieces of the whole armor of God that we are to wear. You must, in your life, have several things you're constantly trying to foster more of. The first is the belt of truth. You must know what the truth is. In a day when nobody knows what the truth is, you have to know what the truth is. Your worldview must be strong. It's the belt, a.k.a. it's what holds your spiritual pants up. All right. If you're in a battle and your pants fall down, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. There are lies and false worldviews everywhere in the world. There's the idea that uh, truth is whatever you want to make of it in our world. You go live your truth and I'll live my truth even if they contradict. That's baloney. That's baloney. There is one truth. There is one truth, and you have to know what it is. It is the belt that holds your spiritual pants up, and you will get so easily led astray by falsehood if you're not careful and don't know the truth. Then the breastplate of righteousness. You think about a soldier. They would have the breastplate on their chest. It's the breastplate of righteousness. What's it guarding? Their heart. Their heart. You must seek to to, to have righteousness covering your heart and protecting you from unrighteousness that the world seeks to corrupt you with. And then the shoes of readiness, put on shoes that are ready to bring the gospel of peace to people. You can't fight very well barefoot, can you? It, it, you need shoes on. And you need the right shoes on. Like, you, you, you can't fight a war with flip-flops on. Like, you just can't. You're going to do not very good in that fight. You must always be ready to spring into action. Every moment of your life is an opportunity to serve Jesus and proclaim the gospel of peace. It's readiness. Be ready ready if you weren't here last week as I prayed earlier um, I um, ask you to do who's your one there's some bookmarks over here on this table um, that, that give you instructions think of somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus or isn't in church write them down on that there's 30 days of prayer prompts to pray for them all out of scripture take that and pray every day for that person and seek opportunities to invite them to church and invite them to Jesus and do that do that every day And then after those 30 days are up, continue praying for them. Be ready. Be ready. Have your shoes on and be ready. And then there's the shield of faith. So I love Captain America. Captain America has a shield that he wears to block bullets and other warfare that comes his way. That's what a soldier in this day would have had. They had a sword in one hand and a shield in the other. One for offense, one for defense. you got to have a shield to block the enemy's attack. As the attack of the enemy comes your way, you hold up the shield of faith. You remind yourself of the faith you confess. Jesus has died, buried, and raised on my behalf, and he's coming again soon to make all things right in the world. And then you trust God. You hold fast in faith the belief that God is good when life's trials hit you and when the enemies of your soul seek to devour you, when your mom dies, when your child dies. When you are in your 30s and life takes a complete unexpected turn. When you are so depressed you can't get out of bed in the morning. When your kids turn their back on Jesus. When you lose your job. When those horrible things hit you, you hold up the shield of faith and you say, God still has me in his hands. This is going to be hard, but the shield will block it. And then the helmet of salvation. What was the helmet protect? The head. The head. Uh, a helmet covers your head. If you ride a bike or a motorcycle, you wear a helmet so, because you know that if you fly off that thing, your head needs to be protected. If you break your arm, it can heal, but if you smash your head open, that can result in your death or severe mental damage. It doesn't heal as easily. Your head is your life. So if you want to protect your life, you protect your head. As the warfare of the pilgrim's progress comes your way, you put on the helmet of salvation to protect your head. What is that helmet? It's your salvation. It's the great hope that you're saved. Christ has taken your sin and given you his righteousness. You're guaranteed eternal life. Nothing can take you from that. You're united to Christ. That's your protection on your head, the protection of your life. That is your protection as you continue on in the world. And then the sword of the spirit which is the word of God, the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is the sword. It's the weapon we fight with. It's scripture. You gotta know it. You gotta know his word. You gotta read it. You gotta study it. You gotta memorize it. You gotta get his word in your heart. If you say, what some people say, I just can't do that. I don't have time. I just don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Don't all of us have those things in our life that we can tell you about? We can, you know, just, you can tell us, talk about that topic for 45 minutes and you can just do it without even thinking. Like for some of you, it's sports. You can tell me, all the players on your favorite team, what their stats are. You can tell me how if Coach would put this guy in, it will result in victory, which will lead us on to the national championship. Like, you know all those things, all those particular scenarios. Like, for some of you, it's cars. Like, you can tell me all about the inside of your car. I've got this weird rattling noise in my car that's been coming in and out over the past couple months. I don't know what it is, but my car's driving fine. I've had it checked. It's not going away. I open it up, and I look inside, and I see nothing wrong with it. I don't know. Maybe there's a dead squirrel caught in the engine or something. But um, you could open it up, and you could look at it, and you could say, oh, yeah, you need to replace your spark plugs on your torque converter, which is causing the wrong amount of horsepower to go into the defibrillator, and, which is backing up the engine, which is in turn causing a backfiring of the windshield wiper fluid into the battery acid, which isn't, if it isn't fixed over time, that'll cause a short-circuiting of the tire pressure, which will completely collapse the front end axle. I know Greek, and that sounds like Greek to me. For some of you, it's the gossip around Tipton. You just know everybody's business, and you love telling everybody about it. You know, I can tell you all kinds of useless information about Star Wars. Like, I can tell you why particular characters have particular lightsaber colors. I can tell you the difference in the different droids and the difference in the different planets and all that stuff. It don't matter that I know all that, but I know it and you know that other useless stuff. So if we can know all this stuff, if we can learn all this stuff, why do we not have time for God's word? Like really? You're not the moron you make yourself out to be. You've got time to read God's word and study it and know it. So do it. It's your sword. Devote some time to God's word, and maybe you'll learn it. Uh, A pastor friend of mine when, when someone says that they don't have their Bible or haven't read their Bible, he tells them, then you're like a soldier without their gun going into battle. And then finally, prayer, praying at all times. This is the full armor of God. We go into battle, equipped for battle, as the chapter says. Prayer. How do we fight in this world in the Pilgrim's Progress? We do it with prayer. We pray at all times, as Ephesians 6 says. Maybe that's why you're so defeated, why we're so defeated. We don't pray. We don't pray enough. We offer up a little prayer for the people on the prayer list in the military, and we go about our day. We should pray for the people on the prayer list in the military, but we we, 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 we got to pray more than that. We might pray a lot in trial, but we pray very little in the normal everyday life when things are going okay. It's how we fight our war. We don't fight the Pilgrim's Progress with brute force. We participate in a battle God is already fighting. As a popular worship song today says, when I fight, I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. It's God's battle. It's God's battle. It's not yours. You just pray and participate in the battle. If we're going to succeed in the pilgrim's progress, we have to remain equipped for battle. The Christian life is war. It's war. It's not a beach vacation. It's not. We're not kicked back on the beach waiting to die and go to heaven. No, we're in a war for the souls of men and women that are gripped by the kingdom of this world. We are at war with the forces of darkness that seek to devour our souls and destroy us. We must be equipped for battle. Third, four, four things in this passage related to the Christian life. Third thing, verse 21. God comforts in the wilderness. Remember, sometimes God leads us through the wilderness. Thirdly, God comforts us in the wilderness. Verse 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night is a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. We're in the wilderness. In the Christian life, we're in the wilderness. We're not in an all-inclusive resort, though we sometimes live like we are. We're on the way to the celestial city, to eternity to the city that God is preparing for us, and that's where we will find true blessing. That's not in this life. That's in the next life. Right now, we're in the wilderness. We're in the place where it's dry and weary. We're in the place where it's hot and humid. We're in the place where it is difficult, and even in the midst of all that, God provides for us. God provides for us. You may have never thought of this, but God meets them as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. There's multiple reasons for that. I mean, the most obvious one is that fire would, would give them light at night. Because, you know, there's not streetlights in the desert. There's not streetlights at all in this time, but there's not street lights in the desert. So um, the, the pillar of fire is going to light up the place during the night so they can see where they're at. But more than that, in the desert, it's extremely hot in the daytime and it's extremely cold in the nighttime. And God is providing for them. Temperature regulation in this fire is going to keep them warm at night, and the airflow that comes off this pillar of cloud during the day is going to provide some coolness for them. He's comforting them while they're in the wilderness. In the midst of the wilderness, God is our comfort. He's our comfort. There's a reason the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, He provides us with relief and comfort in the trials of the pilgrim's progress. We try to find comfort in a lot of things in this world, don't we? Maybe we eat, eat food for comfort. You know, we, we, we you know crack open some ice cream when we're, when we're struggling. Just eat it, all the, the whole container right there. Maybe we find comfort in people. Maybe we do it in our kids. You know, that's a temptation for me if I've had a really hard day. I can go home, and I know that Haddon is always going to, you know, want to play with me. He's never going to reject me. Um, you know he's always gonna, um, you know, want to be with me and be around me, and I can, be, I can be tempted to think, well, I can, I can just comfort myself in the fact that he wants to, that he wants me when the rest of the world might not. But doing that, will put a weight on him that he can't bear. He's not designed to be my comfort. Jesus is designed to be my comfort. We might take comfort, of course, in sinful things like like overindulgence in alcohol or in sexual things or various things like that. We might find comfort in television. We'll sit down and we'll you know get a big bowl of Cheetos and we'll just veg out to numb the pain of life. But comfort's found in God. Comfort in this life is not found in those things. It's found in God. He knows what we need and he provides for us. God is not a cruel God that just throws you out in the wilderness and tells you figure it out figure it out. That would be cruel. That would be like having a newborn at the hospital and bringing it home and throwing it in a room and locking the door and say, figure it out. That's not what God does. That's not what he does. We are much like that newborn. We need God to feed us, to burp us, to comfort us, to hold us when we cry, to get us to sleep at night. We need all of that. Are you in a trial right now, Needing spiritual food, battered by the trials of life, crying your eyes out at night, unable to sleep at night because of everything going through your mind. Come to Jesus and rest in him. He provides comfort in the wilderness. He is your comfort. Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He is your comfort. He is ready to heal and comfort you in the wilderness. You must come to him. You must come to him for the first time if you're not saved. You must come to him afresh if you are. Come to Jesus and rest in him. He's the only comfort that can truly help you in your trials. He will feed you. He will clothe you. He will give you peace. He's a tender shepherd that longs to care for his sheep gently. He comforts In the wilderness. Finally. Remember four things. God sometimes leads us into the wilderness. Verses 17 and 18. We must be equipped for battle. Verse 18. And um, God comforts us in the wilderness. Verse 21. This the fourth and final thing. Verse 22. God won't depart from us. Verse 22. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. Did not depart from before the people. He will not depart from us. He doesn't just pop in and out of our lives like a doctor. You know, I go to the doctor twice a year, six-month checkup, just what my doctor told me. It used to be one year, now it's six months for some reason. But I go every six months, and I go in, and the nurse practitioner takes my blood pressure and asks me, uh, am I still on all my medications and all that stuff, checks my pulse and all that. And then she tells me, okay, the doctor will be in in just a second. I say, okay. And he, she goes out. A few minutes later, he comes in, and he sits down with me, and all your medication's going well? Yeah. You got any problems? Nope. Okay, see you in six months. 90 seconds later, he's gone. 90 seconds later, he's gone. Great doctor, but that's just how it is. That's not how God is, where you have to have an appointment with him, and, and he's in and out very quickly. And then you go home, and you don't see him next time until, until you need him. No. Jesus is more like a faithful husband. He's present with you at all hours of the day. Even when you're not home, he's checking in on you and making sure you're okay and have everything that you need. You can be sure that he will never depart from you. God is going to go with Israel everywhere. It says he did not depart from before the people. He's going to go with them everywhere. He's going to be the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire for them the whole time they're in the wilderness until one day they're going to set up the tabernacle and God is going to dwell with them in that. And then they're going to build the temple later on and God's going to dwell with them in that. And then one day, Jesus is going to come to earth, and God is going to dwell among them as Jesus. And then Jesus is going to go back to heaven, and he will send the Holy Spirit. And now if you're a Christian, God dwells in you. He dwelled with them. He dwells in you. God is always with you. He is present inside of you this very moment. If you're a believer in here, if you've been born again, God is in this room right now inside of you. He will never depart from you. Hebrews thirteen five, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What about when I fail, though? Surely God leaves me when, when I fail. Surely he puts me in the corner and makes me, you know, sit there for a couple days, and then he'll come back to me, right? That, that's how that happens. What about when I fall short? What about when I sin again? I've committed this sin, I don't know, 10,735 times in my life. Surely he is fed up with me and puts me away for a couple days, right? You sin again, you have committed that sin time and time again. You think you should know better by now. And you imagine that's exactly how God sees you. Like he's in heaven and he sees you sin and he goes, Really? Again? Really? I can't believe you did that. What is wrong with you, you moron? No, God is not surprised by anything you do. He knows all things. He knows what is going to happen every moment of the rest of your life. He's not surprised by any sin that you commit or any mistake you make, any one of your shortcomings. When Jesus died on the cross, every sin you would ever commit was in the future, and he saw them all. He died knowing every one of them. Every time you failed for the millionth time and think you should have known better, Jesus knew about that when he died on the cross. And on top of that, remember, Israel is going to be completely unfaithful, completely unfaithful. It's only going to be a few days for Israel at this point before the golden calf incident. There's just a few days after this. It's like 20 chapters in Exodus. It's probably going to be next year before we get there. But it's just going to be a few days in Exodus before they get to the golden calf incident. They're going to worship false gods for their entire history. God is going to use the story of Hosea to show how faithful they are. Hosea, go marry a prostitute. And every time she leaves you, go get her and bring her back. Every time. Every time she leaves you and goes to another man, go get her and bring her home. In fact, when she gets sold into slavery, you go pay money and you get her back. Every time. That's how faithful Israel's going to be. That's how faithful we are. And God is Hosea coming to rescue us every single time. Remember when Jesus hung on the cross? What did he say? My God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by God on the cross. So you never have to be forsaken by God again. He will never leave you. He will never turn his back on you. Forever and ever, he will have his arms open wide to you for you to come running back. In fact, forever and ever, eternity will be God with man. That's how the new heavens and the new earth are described in Revelation. God will dwell with man. He will be their God. They will be his people. One day, we will arrive at the celestial city, and God will dwell with man forever. And if you have Jesus... That's your future, no matter what, no matter how, how much you screwed up, no matter how, how far you fall short, no matter how much you don't measure up. Is your life in the hands of Jesus? Have you believed his gospel and turned from your sins? If you have, he has covered your failures, all of them. He has covered your shortcomings. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed For our iniquities upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. If you have Jesus, you're healed. He didn't treat your sin. He didn't give you an antibiotic that you're going to need another one of in three months. No, he healed you completely. Never to be sick again. Ever. So come to Jesus and rest in him. He has never departed from you. And in the pilgrim's progress, he never will. Great. Lord, we praise you that you walk with us every day. When we're in the wilderness of life and when it feels like we're at the beach, you're with us. Comforting us in the wilderness, you are equipping us for battle. And you're promising us that you will never leave us. Ever. Ever. Lord, what goodness that is, because you would have left me twice this morning already. If that's how, if you acted how humans act, I would have lost you twice this morning or more, who knows? And how many of us could could not say that? The Lord, you're faithful, and you remain with us forever. You do not leave us. I pray for any here today that feel like you've left them or feel like they're far from you. May they come to Jesus and know that his arms are open wide for them and may they rest in him. In Jesus' name.